Welcome to Conversations on Public Safety, The Den, a podcast that asks, are we ready to reset the landscape of public safety? Whether you're a veteran of criminal justice, a newcomer who wants to foster change for the next generation, or someone actively involved in the field grappling with the complexities of decision-making, you're invited to the conversation. In each episode, you'll hear from a panel of four highly respected criminal justice thought leaders for an unscripted, unedited, and vulnerable discussion about the future changes needed for policing. Together, they hold more than 100 years of experience and are using our insight to help evolve practices, policies, training, and community relationships. They're challenging themselves and you to get introspective and question the status quo. Let's dive into today's topic. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Den. This is Jessica, your host. Today's episode, we dive into a brief debate and discussion about community policing. Several years ago, Harold and I wrote an article in the Police Chief magazine called From Handshakes to Hashtags as the desire to communicate with your community was not about walking around the block and shaking hands, but how could you put things out on social media and engage with people in a virtual sense? The reality is, is that community policing has been around for about 40 years. It's defined as a philosophy that uses partnerships and problem-solving techniques to address those public safety issues. And why it's seen as a collaboration between the community and the police to solve problems, a large part of researchers have found that it has few or little impact on the communities or on crime rates. And those of us that are supporters of that relationship building, like Harold and what you're about to hear from Steve and Rodney on the matter, is that the reality is that the ability to measure trust or measure your social capital which can take years to build, but only seconds to break, is really difficult. And for us researchers, we have to dig in to really understand how do we measure the community engagement and how do we know that each and every time we're reaching the right people and at the right kind of quality or depth that they want to be engaged and communicated with. And if we continue to tie Things like communication and relationship building, which are very individualistic things, to broader issues and broader quantitative topics like a crime rate, we will continue to see that the measures of community policing are ineffective. In this episode, we start off with Rodney talking about the work that Steve has done in communities and defining what community engagement has meant to him and to Harold as police chiefs. This conversation just starts to crack open some of the falters of implementation in community policing, such as specialty units, and thinking that it just means that the community does the work and not the police department. Let's dive in to the den. I've always applauded the work that Steve done, because when you talk about community engagement, that's the only one consistent strategy that I believe can repeat itself time and time again and prove more beneficial than anything. Because if you look at how chiefs lose their jobs or how police departments are put in bad light, it's based on the public losing confidence 
in that organization or in that leadership of that organization. But community engagement can just create a relationship where you're not going to be free of any criticism, but you have a balance. You have people out there in the community that's going to speak for you, that's going to be your partners and not allow others to just cut your legs from under you where you can't be successful. And I believe that when you got community support, you can do a lot of things. You can try a lot of things. You can fail in a lot of things and that community will still support you and trust you. But when you don't have that community support, you can't go out there and, and write a jaywalking ticket without them crucifying you or something. So, Roddy, that's such an obvious point. I see it. Yeah. You see it. But how come so many of our other brethren out here who run these departments, how come they don't see it? They don't see it, Steve, because they don't know how to create it. And then a lot of that has to do with the type of person that you are. If you look at some police chiefs, and, and Jessica, you've probably seen them. I know that, that we've seen them. There's some pretty rigid people out there. <laughs> I was going to say ego. That's why. Ego. You know, so are those the type of people that rise to the ranks and become chiefs? The rigid ego maniacs? <laughs> yes. Yes. And it doesn't allow them to open themselves up because they're still under that, that idea that I got to be a tough, strong person that's going out there fighting crime. <laughs> but you're not going to be able to do that unless you got the support of somebody else. Because when crime fluctuates, <laughs> now you, you're standing there naked. To me, community engagement, true community engagement, is the best crime fighting tool out there. It really is. It's the best crime fight. But, you know, we get caught up in, well, there's too many guns, there's too many drugs, there's too many killings, there's too many shootings. What are you doing about it, Chief? Oh, well, you know, I create this special unit to go after drugs. I create this special unit, you know, to go after this, to do this. And then, you know, I, I leave the community behind. And then I come to the community and say, see, I locked up 300 people last month for, for drugs. Well, you know, you still got shootings on my street corner uh, every, every night. So what have you done? And, and that's something that we're really experiencing in Chicago, where they have this, this law enforcement mentality, and they're afraid to do anything or, or to put any restrictions on anybody because they're afraid, well, police officers are going to stop policing. You know, I, I told it to you, I said, you know what? I believe it's okay for them to stop policing. Because certain things they don't need to be doing anymore. Right. They don't need to be chasing people for because somebody threw down a, a, a dime bag of marijuana, now you're gonna chase them. <laughs> so what they have a gun a, a gun on. They didn't shoot anybody, they just put a nickel bag of marijuana on. Yep. But now you done turned that into, you know, a use of deadly force, and now that becomes questionable. So why do that? They really fail to, you don't say the we, they don't want to share ownership of anything. And, and that for me is, is really the key is when you can get everyone to own the problem. You want them to own the problem. You don't want to, to put all that burden on yourself, on your department. Yeah. You want to put some of that burden on the community and you want us to own the problem, which means you have to have to open yourself up to folks outside. You have to share in decision-making, sharing, planning, involve, involve community members and stakeholders as much as you possibly can because you want them to take ownership. So 
when crime does go up, and crime's going to go up and down regardless of what, you know, police do sometimes. That's just, you know, police activity only has a limited impact on crime. So many other factors you know, determine when crime goes up or down. So as <laughs> you say, Rodney, when crime goes up, it's everybody's burden, not just the police department's burden, but it gets, gets so hard for the, to get department leadership to really see that. You can't rely on that when things are bad. You have to build those relationships before things go sideways right, right. Uh, so that when you're saying we've had a bad month or, or right. we're in a bad way, right. when you say we, it's the collective we. It's the community and the chief. When you have chiefs stand there and say, we're the professionals, we know what we're doing, and they really don't. And then they can't solve, especially the homicides or the the serious crimes, because nobody's coming forward. And and you can say this, well, anti-snitch and all this other, that's a lack of, what it is, a lack of relationship, a lack of trust. And I'm talking about one-on-one or two-on-two trust, where, where you've got that, where you could go to a community leader or somebody in the neighborhood and say, hey, I'm Harold Medlock, I need your help. But you can't do that if they don't know you. You've got to have that relationship before. You know, Jessica and I were talking when you guys came on about the Orlando project she's working on. And and in my mind, the things that they're doing are all relationship-based. It's the foundational principle. And and, and again, I'm, I'm no brain surgeon about this. I just watched him do it in Charlotte. And we didn't have that before he got there. We didn't have those relationships with the community. And, and for whatever reason, he was able to weather those storms because he had the relationships. And I, I'm talking about more external relationships than internal relationships. So, and I just tried to do the same thing in Fayetteville, where we all own the problem. But then you get it, and, and Rodney gets it. And, but then how do you sell your, even your rank and file? How do you sell your, the folks who joined the police department and just have a different view than you had? Folks who, you know, who've been police officers for a long time have a different view than you have. But now, you know, they work for you. How do you push down those thoughts to them? I'll tell you exactly how you do it, Steve. And this is this is where it really gets hard for a chief. You have to model the behavior. Yep. If you're not doing it and they don't see you doing it, you can tell them to go do it. But if you're not modeling that behavior, it ain't going to happen. So, and, and the problem is, if you've got, if you have chiefs who've never figured that out, that's where, going back to what Rodney said, having somebody sit alongside that chief to say, hey, you might want to think about doing this, or, or you better get out of your chair and go meet with this person and, and start to talk to them. But it's modeling that behavior. It's making those command level people stand in the back of the room when you're running your community meetings. And, and then you're saying, oh, by the way, my expectation is that, that this person in the back of the room is gonna be doing this next month and I'm gonna be in the back of the room. So it's requiring that as part of their work. And if you, if you model it, if you're leading them by example, they'll pick it up and run with it. Just they may not like it initially, but they'll figure it out. That you have to uh, reward that as well. And that's the case. You know, I always believe police officers are going to do exactly what they're told to do. Yep. And, and they recognize real quick when you're consistent with something. If you're not consistent with something, they'll blow it off. They said, oh, you know, we're going to do this for a couple of weeks and we don't have to worry about it after that. And they'll blow through that, that two weeks. But if you're consistent with it, they're going to follow suit because they don't want to be the minority. Police officers want to be within the majority. Yep. And you can shift that to the majority of people in the, within the community 
praising your officers or looking to meet your officers, they're going to accept that and they're going to welcome that and they're going to embrace that. You know, I always believe that, as y'all just referenced, that you have to give people a role. They ask me, well, what are a couple of things that we should do to introduce ourselves to the community? I said, the first thing is you just have to be genuine. You can't go up there with a pretentious idea and you start, you have to be yourself. People have to see you as a real person and not as a, somebody in a uniform or whatever. They have to see you as a real person. And then they have to understand what their role is. And you have to help them define their role and, and define their role in, in order to exercise their, their role. I use a simple example. I say that if I were the biggest drug dealer, 100 pounds of, of weed, and tell them to go into the richest neighborhood in your city and sell the drugs, could they do it? And, and you know what citizens say? Nope, they couldn't do it. And I say, well, why? It has nothing to do with the police. Mm-mm. That community itself will not allow them to do that. So why is it that they can come into other people's neighborhood and sell it all day long? And if they ask yourself, well, what would that other community do? Well, they'll call the police. They'll get in their face. They'll, you know, write down their tag number. They will make it so uncomfortable for them and wouldn't provide any safe reference for them to do it. I said, and you and your community should be no different. That's your ownership. That's your community. That's where you live. That's your ownership. How do you protect it? How do you set the standard within your community? I can help you achieve your standard, but you as a community member have to set that standard. I can't come in and say, well, you you need to do this and you need to be this way. Your community needs to represent this. No, you have to set that standard. And that's what I heard from some of these uh and most of these are longer term community activists. One was a talk to a, a Lutheran minister. And uh, what he pointed out is that those communities are broken because of inequalities and, and, and inequities in education, in schools, in healthcare, whatever, all the social disorders that we're all familiar with, that those communities are so broken that it's hard for them to do what you just described goes on in other communities. And until we're ready to make investments and help and even use, you know, and make investments and use all of our resources, including police officers, to help fix that, to help address those inequities, to help improve those living conditions, to help give people dignity, jobs, better education, better health care, all those things. Until we all become strong advocates for that and push hard for that, that so much of what we do, we can't fix. Hey, sometimes, Steve, you have to be the employment czar. You have to be, you have to be the employment chief. You have to be the, the education chief. You have to be the health chief. You have to be the chief of those things, too, because being the chief of police in any city carries an enormous amount of influence because everybody needs the police. And with that, rather than separating yourself from those other stakeholders, you should be embracing them. You should be advocating for them just as much as you're advocating for yourself because they can do more within your communities to lessen the crime within those communities and the disorder, the social disorder and the quality of life than 20 police officers can. 
you know, why not create relationships and partnerships with others and become advocates? So if you're in a community meeting and you're advocating for jobs and you're advocating for health and educational opportunities and so forth, that's what they really need. That's what they really will help them move forward. Not you, you know, locking up their nephew or their grandfather or whatever for what whatever crimes that they're committing within that community because of the lack of a job or education and things of that nature. And people, chiefs don't get that. I get so tired of this holier than thou mentality. You know, how and I sit on, on calls and I'd yeah. rather just keep quiet and just listen to them because, you know, what they're saying is not really making a difference uh, at all. And if you sit back and you really look at their accomplishments, some of their accomplishments, when it gets down to it, yes, they may have made a name for themselves or whatever, but most of them have been run out of their jobs. Yeah. I keep, until I'm dead, I guess, I'm going to keep harping on this. It's the whole relationship thing. If you know one another and if you know people in the community and they feel comfortable calling and letting you know, you're, as a chief, to me, you're circumventing that confrontational relationship. You have a collaborative relationship. Both Steve, you and, and Jessica both remember this guy, Kevin Brooks, the barber from Fayetteville, who, who stood off the wall in that community meeting that night and said, Chief, if you want to know what the kids are thinking, go where they are, go to the high schools. And how Kevin and I had that relationship, I was out one morning just riding Fayetteville, just trying to learn the, the city. And, and I stopped in a, a barber shop that was near Fayetteville State University. It was, I hate to classify it as this, but it was an African-American barber shop. And, and I said, you know what? It's Friday morning. Nobody's bothering me. I, I think I'll just get out and go into barbershop and hear what, you know, what the guys have to say, because that's where you get the information. And, and I walked in there. I'll never forget this. When I walked in, that place was slam full and hair was being cut and there was all kinds of men gossip going on. And the place fell silent when I walked in that barbershop. And I'll never forget, Kevin Brooks looked over at me. He's the owner. He looked over at me. He said, hey, chief, uh, say your haircut. I said, and I said, well, I'm willing to try if you are. And the place fell out. And I sat down at 930 that morning in that barbershop and got up at 1230. And I knew pretty much everything I needed to know about Fayetteville. But more importantly, when I left, I dropped business cards on everybody. I had my cell phone on. And, you know, not a lot of those guys called. But one guy that did call was Kevin Brooks. So he's got the pulse of the community. And when he hears something that's going on, he's the guy that's calling me and saying, hey, Chief, you need to pay attention to this. And you get one or two tries with a guy like that. When he calls, you better do something because it's important to somebody. And if you let that go one or two times where you go, yeah, yeah, I hear you, and you don't do anything or you don't respond to it or you don't react to it, you've lost that trust. But he was the guy that was telling me, hey, you need to pay attention to things. And I was listening to him because he's a very wise man, a lot younger than me, but he's grown up in that city. And that's one of those things where you have to tell we have to explain to a chief or a, a leader, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've, you've got to get out because you're the police chief for the community, not just the police chief for the department. And so you've got to walk into what you might think is a hostile environment. It never occurred to me that that, that was a hostile environment. It was just a place 
that I said, well, I can probably figure out what's going on if I go in here and listen to these old guys talk. And it was, it was a, it was a great time, but I got everything I needed to know. And I got some great wisdom again, that day from a lot of guys that have been there and seen things, but more importantly, that relationship that I started with, with Kevin Brooks. So, and then Jessica, you know, Months later, you and Steve are in town and we're having that community meeting and I'm fussing about the 16 year old that was murdered by the other by five others. And Kevin steps off the wall and says, you need to go talk to the kids in high schools. And that's where the Chiefs Youth Advisory Council started. I didn't have a clue what we were doing, but here's a guy that made a public recommendation and we tried something and it, it actually worked. So that I think that's the point of what I'm trying to say. If we get to the point of confrontation, confrontational change, and I think sometimes it has to get to that, Steve, I do. But if you're trying to be collaborative and if you're trying to build positive working relationships, you circumvent all that. And we did in Fayetteville. We went from a confrontational relationship to a very collaborative one. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about today's topic, idea analytics, or work with them, visit their website, analyticsbyidea.com. There, you'll find their latest blog posts, case studies, and contact information. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe, rate, and review Conversations on Public Safety, The Den, on your preferred podcasting platform. See you next time.